Our sermon this afternoon is from Pastor Steve Andrews. It is entitled, Understanding Fellowship. And I will not try to pronounce the Greek. Well, greetings, brethren. It is good to see a lot more coming today. Um, I know that the sickness has been very, very devastating in a lot of lives, <clears throat> and so uh, it's, it's heartening. And I wanted to, to extend uh, my greetings to those that, are, that join in with us on the internet. Um, I hope that we are bringing those things that you need. Um, I know we think a lot about that. Uh, pray about it. Ask God to, to guide and direct us. And hopefully those are the things that we are bringing here or something that will bless you that are listening in and, and, and joining us on a weekly basis. Or if you're just coming uh, for the first time or you only join occasionally, uh, we want to welcome you to our service and, and, and uh, hope that you are blessed with it. Um, Sean was mentioning books. One of the tasks of the, was to try to rearrange a bunch of books and put them up in the shelves and stuff. Well, we, we, my wife and I have definitely a problem with that. <laughs> and I love books, and, I, and sometimes I, I overspend on books. Every once in a while, though, I come across some very interesting ones, and I want to share one with you today. Um, it'll be at the end of the, you'll see the reference book there. Um, it's called The Life of the Church. And I found it quite interesting. The, uh, the fellow's not of our way, but he's, he's got some very interesting points, and uh, I'm trying to share some of that with you today. When it comes to us getting together, it's called a church. And we know, and I, I wrote the, the definition down, uh, ecclesia, and it means a calling out. That is a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation. Now, this is uh, a strong definition. Uh, there's other definitions there as uh, a little bit different, but Strong's is okay. It also means assembly and just church. But I think the one that has always uh, stood out in my mind was the calling out. You remember in the Old Testament, God called out. The first one he called out was Abraham. He called him out of the era of the Chaldeans, and he brought him out of that to walk with God. Well, Jesus also called out. And he started out with 12 disciples, 12 students, because they were fishermen and tax collectors and different ones, and he called them out to come, to follow him. And it's interesting, in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I've got two verses here that I want to turn to, because I think it's very important to lay the foundation to understand. In Matthew 16, verse 18, it says, I say unto you that you are Peter. He's talking to Peter, because Peter has just told him who he was. And God had revealed 
that he was the Christ. And he said, well, that was the Father is the one that revealed that to you. And then, then Christ decides to, to, to reveal to him that he is going to build something. And he says, I say unto you that you are Peter. That means a little pebble. That's not the church, brethren. It was not built on Peter. And upon this rock, Jesus Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we understand this ecclesia, this, the called out ones, because that's what we're doing. Being called out of this world, God is gathering us together. Christ is gathering us to be together. That's why it's so important that we come together. Every week I see Ken and Glenda and Lawrence and, and, and uh, Maxine and all of our congregation. I, I want to go through everybody, but I, I look forward every week to, to, to see people that I know who are coming together, gathering together, because you're called out to come. In the Old Testament, it was the holy convocation. Well, the word convocation also means a calling out. Isn't that interesting? Even in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it's still you are being called out. Now, Matthew 18, just a chapter over there in verse 20, another just one more verse. He says, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So, as I was saying, inviting those who are in the internet to join us today. But if you want, you can join us every week and be a part of this, especially if you cannot get out and you cannot just physically come to church. Come and be a part of what we're doing. The next part, see, I wanted to make sure I'm, I'm reading this in the order that I have it down. Oh, yeah. The book, if, if you don't have a handout or uh, if, if it's not on the Internet up there, it's the life of the church, and the individual that wrote it is called, uh, his name is... Levon D. Brown, and it was written in 1987. I like older books. In fact, sometimes I've even got some that go way back into the 1800s. So, a lot of interesting things. Uh, you, you realize how profoundly more educated people were many, many years ago because some of the words that they used, uh, we don't use so much today. I want to read just a couple of pages out of this because I thought that this first introduction uh, is called the Fellowship of Loving Concern. And, and that's what our congregation should be, a fellowship of loving concern. <laughs> he says, we've never understood the church. There's hundreds of them, thousands of them. Perhaps we, we never will. Some things about the church we consider vital, essential, irreplaceable. Others we consider unnecessary, boring, detrimental. What are our alternatives? They're not so good because church is so important. Being a part of it. The, the mental images produced by the word church are as varied as they are uh, 
partial. Choose one or more of the following. Uh, the church is. Now, now listen to these, because I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, a congregation of saints having achieved varying levels of sinless perfection. Now, we're all working towards that, aren't we? A fellowship of sinners banded together to help each other live a better life. Now, the Bible talks about if you say that you have not sinned, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Now, that's the reason why we're here. And some churches, this is a museum for collecting and preserving holy relics. We don't have those here, thankfully. I'm, I'm thankful for that. A house of hypocrisy where people play games with God. And frankly, I think I was in one at one time. <laughs> and the last one, a fellowship of loving concern, picking up broken lives and restoring them. And I wanted to, to, to offer today, um, my wife gets after me all the time, and I, and I understand it because as a pastor you have to, need to be available, and I'm, I, I don't always, and, and I, I've been corrected by this today, and, I, and part of this is, is my own thinking and, and, and feeling and correction for myself, but one of the things I wanted to say is that I, I, I stay around because if you need to talk, you need to talk about something, I'm here, and you can get me off in the corner and, and, and talk about it. That's why uh, I stay around, because I want to be available. He goes on. He says, Ken Medema, I don't even know who this guy is, but he has some interesting things to say. The blind musician, maybe some of you know him, often sees more than those with us with vision. He wrote a song about the church. He says, I don't need another place for trying to impress you with just how good and virtuous I am. I don't need another place for always being on top of things. Everybody knows that it's a sham. I don't need another place for always wearing smiles, even when it's not the way I feel. Sometimes we come with burdens, don't we? And heavy burdens. And I don't need another place to mouth the same old platitudes. You and I both know that it's not real. Medina is searching for a church, a message, a ministry that has a ring of the real. He goes on to ask some of these pertinent questions. Is this not a place where tears are understood? Where can I go to cry? Where can I go to cry? And if this is not a place where my spirit can take wings, where can I go to fly? If this is not a place where my questions can be asked, where shall I go to seek? And if this is not a place where my heart cries, uh, my heart cries can be heard, where shall I go to speak? Love means different things to different people. So does church. Many people think to, of church in terms of a building. That's located at the corner of Webster and Comanche. Therefore, one says, we are building a new church. Others think of a church as a peculiar, uh, particular denomination, as in, to which church do you belong? The expected answer, of course, is to include Presbyterian, Baptist, or Roman Catholic. The word church may be used uh, of an institution in the 1960s, university students were chanting, Jesus, yes, church, no. They held little hope for the institutional church. Asked what he thought of the church, a student replied, not much, doesn't scratch where I itch. <laughs> Sometimes a church means nothing more than a worship service as in 
are you going to church? Uh, for us, it would be Sabbath, but it'd be, uh, and then he says, Sunday. The danger is not these cons. Uh, the danger is not that these concepts are wrong or evil. Rather, it is that they are partial and inadequate. The question is, what would Christ have the church to be, or to become? Him, Kim Adema would insist that the church should be a place of mutual forgiveness, mutual concern. It should be a place where each member gives priority to others' needs. It must be a fellowship of loving concern. What is a church? Technically, the word refers to those who have been called out. Years ago, I memorized the definition of the church in my ordination service, and I, I still, feel, uh, still find satisfaction in it. Simply yet, comprehensively, the church is a body of baptized believers bound together voluntarily to carry out Christ's divine commission to disciple, baptize, and teach. So I thought quite a bit of wisdom was, was there in that. So in one of, his, one of the later topics, he had understanding fellowship. And so I began to look up the word koi non ia. Don't ask me if that's correct. You can actually get on the internet and have them pronounce it back to you, by the way. Um, so that those things come out. And, and that word, uh, for those of you that have it in front of you, is from 2844. It's a partnership. That is literally participation, social intercourse, or um, pecuniary benefication, to communicate, communion, distribution, or fellowship. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And as you can see in, in your handout, uh, th there was a total of 20 of those particular ones. And, and Ecclesia is 115 times in the New Testament. So I think that there's quite a bit of importance here. So let's, let's turn to the first one that shows up on this particular word. And that, that's found in Acts, the second chapter. And I think all of us are probably very much aware of, of when this, this happened. At the day of Pentecost, and many heard the powerful message that Peter stood up and gave. And at the end, 3,000 were baptized. And so, what did they do after that? They stayed together, didn't they? And they shared together, and they fellowshiped together. So, beginning in verse 41, it says, Then they then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So that was the first time that that word was used. And they, they were in fellowship. They gathered together, and they share things together. Because it was a tremendous and fantastic, wonderful miracle that the Holy Spirit was given that day. Another one is in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. I want to make sure that I get this in order. I have both my handout and my notes, and so I'm going to get Two of them mixed up here today. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. 
I went ahead and, and picked up with Paul's thinking here. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sophonies, our brother. To the church of God, to the called out. The messages of Paul are for, for us today, just as they were for the Corinthians back then. Because we are continuing to be the called out ones of God. Which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all and every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my wish, my, my desire for everyone here today and those maybe that are listening. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always in your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed to you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing this to a church, the, the gathering of the congregation in Corinth. And it, today he's writing it to the Tulsa Church of God. I didn't write this, Paul wrote this. And the words that are here were inspired by Jesus Christ to be written and to be read. And to be read over and over again and to be understood, and to be loved for the writing that he gave us. God is faithful, by whom you were called to the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God is faithful, and we are called to that fellowship, and that's what we're doing today. We're a part of that. Our fellowship is first with Christ. I know we have a fellowship, but without Christ, we would just be having a meeting. Without God's Holy Spirit in us, we would just be having a Saturday meeting. But we understand, because of what Christ has done in calling us, the importance of being here and being before God and before Jesus Christ. We know that this instruction was given just before his death, his crucifixion, his horrible time. And, and he wanted to leave some, something very powerful to all of us, not just to his disciples, because this has been preserved down through the ages. And, and the words that are in this book are so profound. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide on the vine. So apart from Christ, we're going to die. That's just the, what he's saying. If we're not a part of the, of the vine of Jesus Christ, we're going to die. And we're not going to be bearing any fruit either. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except that it, uh, it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I am him, the same bring forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So you see how important it is that we first have Jesus Christ in our life. That he is the first in our life. He says, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and I, and it shall be done to you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. And I think we, we do see that love of Jesus Christ, and sacrifice and what has been given, the things that he does in our life, and, and the direction through his word that we are directed. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. That's another part of fellowship, is the joy of Jesus Christ within sight of each and every one of us. I know sometimes we bring our burdens, but there is a hope of the kingdom of God, a joy that we can look forward to. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That school shooting that just happened. The one coach stood in front and saved some kids and sacrificed his own life. Well, what bravery. I don't know. Would I be that brave? Would I be able to do that? Would I stand in front and be shot so that someone, some of those little kids could be saved? I would hope that that day, if that come about, that we could do that. But he says, greater love has no man that he, that man lay down his life for his friends. Can you imagine he had compassion on those children and stood in front to die? You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Hereafter I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. And so we are a part of the vine. We are the branches. We are attached to Jesus Christ. He nourishes us and we bear fruit. Well, Paul decides to give us another uh, example. And I think this one also helps us to really understand a little bit about how God looks at us and the part that we have in God's church. Because each of us are very important. It's found in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and beginning of verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Sometimes it's hard to understand how we have so many denominations and so much, even in, even in our way, even in our truth, even in our way, we have many different groups. 
teaching essentially the same thing. And yet, if they are believers and they and they are coming to understand the word of God and they are living that way, God, Christ considered them a part of the body. We should also consider them a part of the body. We should not be exclusive to those, although we don't know. You know we don't have we don't have insight, but Christ does, and He knows who's a part of of his body. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all made to drink of that one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many members. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? I think Paul's analogies are so interesting, so profound. Now, sometimes maybe we think, well, because I'm not doing a certain thing or in the church or something, I'm not going to be a part of this body. But everybody has a position, has a place in the body of Jesus Christ. If you understand that, that he puts us in there, and I'm nothing. Only that Christ can lead and, and guide me uh, to bringing messages to you and, and being as compassionate as I can as your pastor. And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where's the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where's the smelling? Now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. It's a pleasure to put you in the body and to have you to come and be a part of what Jesus Christ is doing in your life and here in this place. Nay, I see, and I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon those we bestow, these we bestow the more abundant honor and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Especially as we get older, we want to cover them up. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Everyone is important to God. Every person in this congregation is important to God. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are, are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts and healings and helps and governments and diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Which is different languages. We understand that. Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet... He says, I'm going to show you something even more profound, even more important that you have. Even if 
we didn't have any of that. If we had this one thing in our congregation, it would be the greatest thing. And so he says, though I speak with tongues, in, verse, in chapter 13, of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Just making noise. If I don't have love. You know the word charity means love. And that is agape. If you go up and you look at that, that word is agape. That's godly love. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have. And the kind of love that Jesus Christ has for us. That he sacrificed his very life for you and, and me in this, this life. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am as nothing. I, I'm like nothing. I don't, if I don't have that one thing called charity or love, and though I bestow all my goods to, the, to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have no love, it profits me nothing. So here is the point. Here is what love does for us. Here is how we, divide, we develop in the church. Charity suffers long. Love suffers long and is kind. We want to be long-suffering and kind to one another. And envy's not. Love vaunts not itself and is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, and thinks no evil. In this society, that's really hard, isn't it? To have the love of Jesus Christ and not be thinking sometimes of the evil that's going on and some, sometimes having it just you know, boiling over in our minds. We want to, to, to have that spirit to, to get rid of that so that love replaces that and we don't think those evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things hopes all things, endures all things. Sometimes we have to go through trials and tribulations, don't we? It makes it very difficult in our life because we have to, to, to bear those things. Charity never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they'll, they'll fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall be vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. You know, when Christ comes back, those things will all be taken care of. And we'll know a lot more. We'll understand things. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. And I understand as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I, I put away those childish things. And sometimes I, I, I look back and, man, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm quite matured enough yet. <laughs> For now we see through a glass darkly. But when... But then, face to face, now, I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also I am known. And now abides hope and charity, uh, hope, uh, faith, hope, and charity. So faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The, the greatest of these, all of those attributes of love are the most important thing in our congregation, to, to develop those, to have those to love one another in that, in, that, in that sense. So, let's turn to, um, let's, to, adding to that, let's turn to 1 John, the fourth chapter, which is the next one in your, in your, in your handout there. And we're very familiar with this, but 
John puts it very succinctly, very powerfully. John, the fourth chapter, in just two verses, 10 11. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, because God is eternal, has always existed, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation. That's the atoning sacrifice for our sins through Jesus Christ. What love that is. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. If, if God and Christ were willing to go to that thing where they where Christ was sacrificed for us, we should be willing to love one another. First Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Passover and fellowship. Interesting. I, I had never thought about this because it uses a different word, but it's essentially the same word as whatever that word is, and I'm going to try to do it again. <laughs> Which means fellowship, but it also can have other meanings. So I went ahead and I put this one in, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, because I think this is also extremely important because we keep the Passover and we keep the holy days. But here's, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ or the participation or the... We could, we could put in some of this, the partnership, the participation, the intercourse, the, the communication, the communion, the fellowship, the fellowship. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? In other words, the cup that we take on Passover and the bread which we break, that unleavened bread, is it not the communion or the the partnership or the fellowship of the body of Christ. For we being many are one, many are one bread and one body. For we are partakers of that one bread. Aren't we? we are partakers. We are those that partake of that one bread. So, continuing on. No other foundation. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. If you're going to build something, you build it strong. You build it on a solid foundation. Uh, we, we put up drilling rigs. And when we put up drilling rigs, we put it up so that there's a solid foundation for it to sit on. You don't want a drilling rig with all the pipe in it tip. <laughs> no way. You want it solid. You want it to stay where you put it. You don't want it to move. So you, you make sure that your foundation is solid. The same thing with us. We want to be building on a solid foundation. So beginning in verse 9, it says, For we are laborers together with God. Who, you are God's husbandry. You are God's building. You, all of us, are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given to me, as wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay 
than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Christ is the solid rock foundation that we lay our whole salvation upon. And we build upon that. We talked about the vine and being a part of that, but now we're talking about a solid foundation that we're also building upon. This is a part of what we're doing. He says, now if any man build upon this foundation gold or silver, precious uh, stones or wood or hay or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. So we want to have a solid foundation, something that is not going to be destroyed. But even, it's interesting that even these other things that you might, there, there is still hope. He says, if any man's work abide which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so by fire. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that's one of the most important things. And to love one another and to understand that that Spirit dwells in us is so very, very important. He says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. And those are profound words to understand. That they dwell in us. And that we are that temple that they dwell in. There's no physical building out there. Maybe someday there will be. But today, the Father and the, and the Son dwell in us. His spirit that dwells in us, that's a part of us. We are the temple of the living God. I think, I don't know if I've, I've laid a good enough foundation yet, but maybe I have, I don't know. For every one of us, there's always things that we, we have to work out in our own lives. But I think that one of the things that comes out in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, which is pretty interesting, is that forsaking the fellowship is, is something that we should not do. We should be here. We should come if we can. If we're sick, well, we should stay home. <laughs> but if we're well, we should come together because the Spirit is here. God's Holy Spirit is it's stronger. When the, the more of us are here, God's Holy Spirit is here. And God is here. And He's with us. He's teaching us, training us, guiding us, leading us. His love is here. And we get to know one another because we're saints that are going to be in the kingdom together amongst many others that will be there. So in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 19, we'll pick it up there. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, because we are bold, enter of the Holy by the, by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what it's all about, brother. What God is doing inside of us, what he's working out. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful and that has promised. And let us consider one another to provoke to love and good work. 
and I hope that this message is doing that today, to provoke us to love and also to good works, to doing good things. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. There's an awful lot of evil out there, and we hope to come to a very wonderful and peaceful place to fellowship, to be together, to have the spirit that, that, that dwells in us and the love that we can show one another today and always. I, uh, I marked a few things in here, and I've got that I'm going to read just for about a couple minutes here. And then I've got one other scripture to finish up. It was an interesting little book, and I think there's a lot more maybe that I'll be able to, to bring. But let's see if I find my format. Under the title that that um, I just put on my thing, so I plagiarized this book. <laughs> Sorry about that, but I, I thought it was very profound. Understanding fellowship, and then he had that same word in parentheses. He said, the church grew out of Christian fellowship, believers bound together by their common love for Christ, and one another because uh, became the church. Fellowship was one of the striking elements of the early church. To early Christians, it was inconceivable that a believer would go into isolation. To be a believer was to be, uh, to be a believer in fellowship. <laughs> so this word, I won't try and pronounce it, is fellowship with, with God. And of course, he's a, he's a Trinitarian, so sometimes you, you find these things. Even in, even in commentaries, you have to be careful. And because, but sometimes you can glean so much. Because sometimes I think God inspires so that we can be inspired. Inspires others so we can be inspired. Paul closed his letter to the Corinthian church with the familiar benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The fellowship level of any church then is now is virtually related to the work of the Holy Spirit that works within us. Here's one. I, I underlined this one. The ministry of the church is to form a circle of love and concern around all believers in their times of need. That is fellowship. And that's, that's, that's not just the minister. That's all of us doing ministry to each other. The ministry of each and every one of us in the church is to form a circle of love and concern around all believers in their times of need. There was a, a man by the name of Bonhoeffer, and maybe some of you are familiar with it. He says, it is grace, said Bonhoeffer. Wait a minute. I want to go up the, uh, the, the Christian's highest privilege. I want to read this whole thing. Most American Christians take for granted their privilege of fellowship with other Christians. Christians in other parts of the world are not so fortunate. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity. 
The physical presence of our Christians should be a source of incomparable joy and strength for the believer. In fact, the Christian should yearn for such fellowship. The potential blessings are inexhaustible for those privileged to live in a daily fellowship with other Christians. The one who has that privilege should live in a constant state of gratitude to God. It is grace, said Bonhoeffer, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. I think that's so profound. He said, here the next, uh, the duties of Christian fellowship, he says, we are Christians not merely uh, for our own sakes, but for others. He says, selfish Christianity is a contradiction of terms. Selfish Christianity is a contradiction of terms. Uh, he had a little interesting little point here, and I'll read this. A pastor told about one of his neighbors who had a beautiful do- a boxer. One day, the, the dog jumped the fence and roamed the neighborhood. The, the pastor watched as the frustrated dog tried to get a drink from the whirling sprinkler in his front yard. He was having so, some difficulty in synchronizing his head and his tongue with the intermittent spurts of water. Uh, Christians experience a similar frustration. Many attempt to quench spiritual thirst through hit and miss church attendance. Instead of going to the fountain of still waters, they drop in occasionally for a spurt of church. I thought that was pretty interesting. He said, last one here, a church can well afford to lose almost anything before it loses its fellowship of encouragement and loving concern. First John, the first chapter for our last, last few verses here. I finish up. First John, the first chapter. Being encouraged by John's revelation here. John's messages. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. So John, being an apostle, had seen and was there. And his words were true because he did see Jesus Christ, and he was there. And he actually witnessed, and we know that he witnessed the, the crucifixion and, and was a part, it was there. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard declare we to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light and as he is in the light, we also, uh, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Brethren, it is wonderful to, be, to come together as as brethren, 
and to fellowship. And I hope we understand it a little deeper today and, and are guided in that understanding.